Sonic Statesman.com. Welcome to Sonic Talk 19. Um, this is going to be going out on, well, what is the date tomorrow? Thursday, the 26th of October. Uh, I'd like to welcome our guest this week. We've got uh, Mark Tinley, sound artist and programmer, engineer, etc., etc. Hi, Mark. Hello. And we've got Dave Spears from G Media Music. Hello. And John Musgrave, uh, producer, engineer, programmer, and um, part-time journalist, I think would be fair to say. Yeah, hello. Hi, guys. How's your week been? You've been... Um, I hope, hope your roof's not leaking, because it's been raining almost continuously in the UK here, hasn't it? It's funny you should say that, because it is, actually. It is leaking. Very slightly. But not on any vintage equipment, I hope. <laughs> no, on a few boxes getting damp. And you, when you come to sell them boxed and uh, perfect, as on eBay, <laughs> they'll just they'll be mouldy and have kind of slug, be eaten by slugs, like they are in my house. They're going that way. Talking going about that way. Buying, buying things on eBay, I bought a sofa on eBay on Sunday. Yeah. Anything interesting down the back of that sofa? Haven't looked yet. I do have one that came out of Townhouse, actually, which is for sale. I could, I should plug this, shouldn't I? <laughs> so you've actually got that. an actual Townhouse recording studio sofa for sale. Sofa. Yeah, it's for sale on eBay. Who knows whose arse has sat on that seat, eh? It might have been the place for all sorts of famous people. I was going to advertise it as, as, you know, has been sat on by you know, Keith Richards and whoever. I mean, you could make it up, couldn't you, really? Well, you probably would be making it up, frankly, wouldn't you? Yeah, of course. Yeah, well, <laughs> nothing gets in the way of a good sales pitch, though, eh? No, absolutely not. Well, um, which kind of takes us, I, I suppose this could be a bit of a link, couldn't it? And did you see the story, uh, the 13-year-old girl lures bands to LA by posing as a record company executive on uh, MySpace? Brilliant. It was my favourite story of the week. I love the end, where they said uh, most record company executives are actually posing as 13-year-old girls. Ironic, don't you think? I do. I mean, I was looking at this story, and it's a great story, but it does rather smack of somebody making it up completely. Because I yeah, can't believe that uh, the RIAA actually commented saying that if you think the record executive is a nice person, then you aren't dealing with a real executive. It's, a no <laughs> it's common knowledge that all record executives are, I won't say it, but um, <laughs> AHs. The story goes, we found this on BB Spot, or well, Dave, you found it actually, um, Members of Phonics Cat, a neo-punk country band from Kansas City, were the latest victims. Apparently what happened is this 13-year-old uh, girl is, re is posing as somebody called Sony Music Exec. And these guys said, uh, well, her profile was called that, and how are we sp supposed to know it wasn't legit? I guess we should have realised she was a fake when she promised us free studio time and said she loved our music. <laughs> <That's a bit laughs> On arriving at Ashley's house, the band members were lured inside with free pizza and crystal light. Presumably that's some sort of beer. How could we resist, said McLeod. She locked us in the basement and told us we had to play for free. It wasn't that bad, so we stuck around for a while. Eventually her mum kicked us out. Um, I thought that was probably what sailed, nailed it, but um, it's a by a guy called Brian Briggs, and uh, um, it, if it's not true, it's a it's a great piece of um, of uh, punnery, I think. But uh, I suppose it could happen. I mean, bands are desperate, aren't they? I mean, anybody um, done anything they care not to um, elaborate on in the name of trying to get somewhere? Yeah, constantly. <laughs> so you, uh, I take it you're not going to elaborate on that, or you're just going to go and look at my deviant art page. <laughs> oh, okay. Perhaps we shouldn't. I, I don't saw know, your I mean, iTunes page. Some sort of podcast you talking about? Vintage motorcycles also. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. That was the thing at Greenford Motorcycle Museum. Um, I went to a century of British mo vintage motorcycles, and uh, they had one motorcycle from every year for 100 years, and I went and recorded them all. What, going brum-brum? Yeah. Wow. Quite good fun, yeah. Yeah, wow. but how did you get that? Did, did, so are you releasing a CD of this for uh, enthusiasts? 
no, no, it's just a podcast. Oh, did, okay. It was a, it was, it was, um, I did it about three years ago or something, I think. I get lots of emails from strange American people saying, wow, that was fantastic and it's so interesting to hear all those old British bikes. So, yeah, I mean, I guess people must listen to it. And a sort of slightly different kind of world than um, what you normally do. Recording noisy things, yeah, it's the same, really. I suppose so. <laughs> In fact, motorbikes are probably more predictable, aren't they? More than musicians, yeah, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Easier to fix, anyway. <laughs> I went to terrible trouble for riding my motorcycle around Studio One in Sphere, Sphere Studios in Battersea. Anybody ever goes into Studio One, there's a big burn mark in the floor of the um, <laughs> drum booth because I took my bike in there. The tape-op had a, a probably very expensive microphone aimed at the back wheel and I, and, and I was doing a huge burnout, clouds of smoke and squealing tyres and everything. And by the time they actually got... The uh, the mic set up and the DAT set up and everything else set up. I'd burnt a hole in the rather nice floor. So <laughs> terribly irresponsible, but what what fun! <laughs> Did anyone yeah. lose their jobs over it? No, I thought I was going to lose mine for a minute, but I guess because I'm freelance, nobody can really fire me, can they? <laughs> Sonic State com. I suppose studios and Keen might um, might be some sort of tenuous link, but. Um, did you see that uh, Keen have released a single on Memory Stick? Yeah, it looks like a very good idea. Yeah, I think it's kind of quite interesting. I mean, I'm not a great fan of uh, of Keen's, but I, I think, as I said, I'd buy it if it was released on an iPod and still only three ninety nine. But uh, it reminds me of the uh, that David Bowie film from years years ago, The Man Who Fell to Earth. And in that film, he was picking up these sort of round glass spheres and dropping them into the middle of a. Uh, some kind of a player, and he was playing video and music from these things, and everybody thought, oh, that's, you know, never going to happen. It's just completely impossible, and it's it's definitely getting round to that. Now. I'm not quite sure what size of the uh, memory stick is, but it's got, uh, what's it, it got? It's got Nothing In My Way, which is their new single, as, uh, as well as other tracks, videos and screensavers, and uh, no doubt uh, um, prominent links to their website where they can do data capture on their, on their audience. But it's going to be available at the end of the month in the UK. I had a quick look at the, the details, and apparently it's a 512 megabyte one. For three ninety nine. Wow. Yeah, which which I thought wow. was a bit odd, because they're normally about a tenner or more, aren't they? For, and it said how it was reusable. A, how oh, really? do they get a chart position? I mean, the, they do have very strict rules on what constitutes um, chart um, that goes into the into the chart build-up. So I wonder how, how they've got around that, because, I mean, essentially what they're doing is giving away a tenner's worth of memory with yeah. the single on it, so loads of people, I'd actually go and buy it for three, I'd, buy, I'd probably buy ten for three ninety nine because they're so, you know, 512 megabyte um, USB stick is not actually um, to be sniffed at, certainly not for £3.99, which is what, that's about two and a half bucks, three bucks? If that is true, I, that's what it said, but... So presumably it's a full bandwidth version of the song as well. I don't I know mean, about that, it should be, shouldn't it? Uh, my problem with CDs is that I either leave them lying around the floor and kick them about and they get all scuffed up and then no longer work, or the baby gets hold of them. You know, the, there's probably a little protective cap that you can put on this and put it away somewhere safe, and it's less likely to get destroyed, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, they are—they do have the dubious uh, honour of being first, the you know, first memory stick single, and uh, in case anybody would like to um, to just cast their minds back to the first cassette single, which was oh, Bow Wow Wow. wow. Bow Wow Wow, C30, C60, C90 Go, it was called. I saw them in America about two years ago. 
And she still looks as hot as ever. She was a bit of a schoolboy fantasy figure, wasn't she? Yeah, absolutely. What was her name? Uh, Anna Bella... Anna Bella Lewenin, wasn't it? She's probably only about 25 now, though, because she was really, (laughs) really young, wasn't she? (laughs) She was only, like, 14 when she was in that band. Wasn't she... Was she managed by Malcolm McLaren as well? She was, yeah. yeah. Uh, Well, our next um, fact finders, uh, 1983, the 12-inch single was the first uh, to come into its own with New Order's Blue Monday. That was the first ever 12-inch single. Lost yeah, Making. that was a good song as well. Was it Lost Making? Was that right? Yeah. Every really? unit they've manufactured cost them money. Um, Sounds um, a fantastic record, though. You put that record on today and it's still, like, it still seems like really innovative. Yeah. Even now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, continuing the chronological order, in 1985, Dire Straits Brothers in Arms um, became the dominant format for the first time in 1985. On CD. What, after it does it's been... sound better on vinyl. Whoever did the mastering for the vinyl did a better job than they did for the CD. Well, it's yeah. not surprising, better I suppose, because they, they wouldn't have really known what they were doing back then, would they? I mean, if it was one of the first yeah, times. Yeah. So, you know, can be forgiven. Can't forgive them the headband, though, ever, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, and then 2004, first album to be released on memory card. Uh, I don't know if that's Compact Flash or um, SD, but it's Robbie Williams' Greatest Hits. There you go. Okay. So, um, <laughs> so God, this, and this goes on and on. This is actually quite an interesting article in Guardian Unlimited. But uh, suffice to say, I mean, some of these have been uh, would be classics. I don't know wh- whether this Keen track is a classic, but um, I suppose time will tell. I, I suspect that they are going to sell bucket loads if it's true about the five twelve megs, and um, it's only three ninety nine. I should imagine this propel will propel them to the top of the charts. Because if it's if it's a five twelve, they could actually put the single in there at ninety six. 24, couldn't they? Or, you know, 192. It'd probably just about fit on a, on a 512, wouldn't mm. it? Mm. Ah, well, that would make it really interesting if they did that, wouldn't it? Would be great. So go on, Keen. Let's find out. Maybe I'll go out and buy one on the 30th. October the 30th, I'll nip down the shop and we can confirm whether that is and pop it in the next podcast, eh? Ah, well, as we're on the subject of digital medias, um, after last week's um, Japanese uh, McDonald's MP3 player fiasco, uh, Apple iPods now apparently have a little bit of a virus issue. A number of iPods released after September the 12th uh, with the carry, and then they carry a virus, and it's the Ravmon E Exe virus, which sped, spreads via mass storage devices and only affects Windows computers and not the iPods. Um, up-to-date virus, virus, antivirus software on Windows should remove this virus, but... Um, They've got links to McAfee, Symantec, and Windows software. If one was cynical, you could sort of say, well, I'm a really big corporation, I'm going to release something which might have a virus, and you do a deal with one of the big antivirus people, and you could kind of increase sales, couldn't you? If you were That's big. very cynical. It is, but I mean, it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be rocket science to make that happen, would it? I just love the shifting of blame in this article, where they say, we are upset at Windows for not being more hardy against such viruses. That's the PR department. uh, (laughs) Sure, it's them that put the virus on in the first place. Oh, yeah, but it does say, and even more upset with ourselves for not catching it. You know, I mean, how does a virus get on one of those things? I mean, what software do they need to put on it? I think they make a master master copy of the the disk or whatever, don't they? Well, and then and just they burn just it. Clone them, don't they? So, so presumably, the, the person who'd done that, yeah. what they probably did is they probably nipped down to McDonald's for lunch. <laughs> yeah, and uh, copied, they w- they'd copied a few tunes from that iPod. That onto the, yeah, and it somehow got into yeah. The, God, that would be terrible, wouldn't it? But I mean, I don't know. It, you can see maybe more of this sort of thing happening. I mean, what's the difference between malware and spyware? Malware just uses your computer to 
do stuff like email a load of people or you know become a uh, an email relay or you know something like that and spyware nicks your information does that sound right uh, okay yeah yeah Mm-hmm. Kind of sounds about right. I suppose it just means that uh, they they don't have to call it virus. It sounds like PR speak for let's think of another name for it so that it's not a scary word. Okay, I guess they found it, and um, hopefully, if you fancy going and downloading a free version of Win of McAfee or Symantec, you know the trial version, I expect you can probably get rid of it. But it's it's um, scary to think that these things can sort of propagate just on mass media, mass storage devices. So I mean, I guess I hope Keen are um, checking their their singles before they go out because that could be pretty um pretty <laughs> horrifying did anyone um anyone see the ideal christmas gift for the hairy backed dude uh yeah <laughs> nobody <laughs> wants to talk about what's this, this either. what's this doing in here nick what i think it was just because i get rss feeds from various um various places and i saw this one and i said um i just thought the, the actual title was man groomer does your back and i just thought well that looks worth looking at and i just thought it was funny i think hairy people think that if they don't have any hair it'll make them more boyish you know i'm i'm hairy and proud only not in the right places unfortunately none on the top <laughs> none on the top of my head and increasingly large amounts everywhere else so maybe i'll ask maybe maybe it's actually, a sign of what, distinction Nick. exactly what i'm actually doing is i'm putting out a subliminal message that i want one of these for christmas <laughs> well I, I did read the explanation on the on the website and you'll be glad to know that you can stow it discreetly so if you do ever get <laughs> if you do ever get checked at customs or when you're travelling, no one will know what it is. Ah, oh, right, but they might not let you on the plane. Until <laughs> well, you explain what it is. There might be some hairy back dudes in um, within Google that are looking for a kind of get, getting into hardware. Maybe this could work. It's like that Victor Kayam hack that I liked it so much I bought the company. You know, I knows? think it's a YouTube video waiting to happen, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. We'll lay down the gauntlet. We'd like to see a YouTube video of the man groomer doing your back, please. <laughs> but keep it clean. We don't want anything smutty. To music, preferably. Oh yeah, what a good idea. What sort of mu- what music could they do it to? Um, um, look back in anger by oh, David yeah. Bowie. God, <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> and I had um, "Take the Power Back" by Rage Against the Machine. Okay. <laughs> Paper back writer. Oh, the they're just getting worse. We better stop you, crap, <laughs> right, because stop. Somebody, somebody's <laughs> gone. Have you just done a joke search? <laughs> a joke search on the internet. Well, I suggest you change your search engine. Young man. I was looking at I was actually there's songs in my iTunes library. What about Harry? Have you got anything Harry? Right. Hair of the Hair of the Dog by Bauerhaus, that's the closest I get. Or Long Haired <laughs> Lover from Liverpool. You've got Long Haired <laughs> Lover from Liverpool on your iPod? I have, yeah. Oh. Little Jimmy Osmond. It's my era, man. Bless him. <laughs> I met little Jimmy Osmond. He's, Did a, you? he's the same age as me, yeah. He's not so little yeah, these days though, is he? Oh, I met Donny Osmond as well. He's a bit older than He's uh, he's remarkable, remarkably well preserved. <laughs> I think think Donny uses a well. man groomer. <laughs> I'll order one this afternoon. <laughs> okay, only thirty nine bucks. Is it? That's yeah. it? It is a bargain for those hard to reach areas, hairy areas. Oh, they should put that in. A, that's a good tagline, isn't it? For those hard to reach, hairy areas. Obviously, the people in BizDev at uh, various record companies were who were in negotiations with YouTube about their copyright infringements, or you know. Uh, uh, decided that they would um, do trades for shares. It sounds awfully, awfully sort of sneaky, this. It sounds like someone might have known what was going on. 
here's a bit of a backhander. Here, guys, if you take some... Sh- what, what they eventually did is, instead of suing them, they took a few shares in YouTube, which, strangely enough, just got sold for $1.6 billion, which is um, a story we covered a couple of weeks ago. Doesn't it all seem a bit cosy? Yes, it does. And do you think it's going to make any difference to how um, vigorously they um, protect their copyright? Presumably, if a company has got shares and they haven't sold them and they're just sitting there thinking, wow, look, now they were, they were worthless and now they're worth, they must be worth several million. I, mean, I don't know how many, how many shares we're talking about, but uh, it's, a, it's a fairly serious amount of wedge that you, you know, you don't, it, what, 1% of 1.6 billion. It was an interesting comment by Doug Morris, wasn't it? called YouTube and MySpace copyright infringers and said that the sites owe us tens of millions of dollars. Yeah, which probably, if you got enough shares, would probably wouldn't be too far away what they might be worth at this point, do you think? Mm. It does look... I mean, it, in, on the face of it, it looks like a shrewd business move, but if you look a bit closer, it, does, it, it, it has this, a ring of something a bit murky about it, doesn't it? Uh, it does look a bit dodgy. What, what about if they get these tens of millions of dollars, do you think they're going to go and give them to the artists that they really owe to? Because <laughs> they don't owe them really to the record company, do they? Somebody owes the artists tens of millions of dollars. The record company get their cards. But, I would, know. yeah. I would think the publishers probably are the ones who are owed the most money, not mm. the record company. Yeah. It's funny you yeah. should mention the publishers, because I, I saw a story... Just a couple of days ago, about Japanese, the Japanese collections agency, which I guess is the, their equivalent of the PRS, uh, requesting thirty thousand clips to be removed from YouTube. Unless you issue a subpoena or you know whatever your international equivalent is, they won't do anything about it. They right. just, they sure, just go. I mean, maybe somebody's got to come up with some kind of blanket royalty kind of thing, like the PRS, to cover all these sorts of things, because. Um, if you have a pub and you have a music license, you pay PRS some money and they distribute it among their members, don't they? Because they don't necessarily ask you what music you're playing on your jukebox in your pub every night. No, it's just based on how many people, people turn up and how much music you yeah. play. I mean, they, they must be able to figure out some kind of a blanket royalty for... As with all these things, the collection agencies are different per territory because there are different things. I mean, you don't get PRS in America, am I right in saying it? You know, you don't get performance royalties... You get it in the EU. I think you do for TV. I think you do for TV. But every every industry and every kind of broadcast has its own kind of little foibles and a legislation nightmare, I'd imagine. But yeah, unifying it into one big kind of easy to understand um, organisation would be a, a pretty good idea, but probably cost an enormous amount of money. I mean, can you imagine the lawyers' fees on drafting that lot up? That's, I mean, basically, you know, as one guy said, it's the elephant in the room that everybody's choosing to ignore. The reason YouTube is is mostly successful is you can go there and kind of spend half your time just sort of having a nostalgia afternoon looking at 80s videos or whatever your era is. I mean, it's all up there, isn't it? Mm. I mean, occasionally you might come across somebody who's posted some interesting original material, like not like Sonic State, for instance, who put their own videos up there, but... Um, you know, it's mostly copyrighted stuff. There was, there was a, somebody did an animation of album covers. It's absolutely fantastic. It's in the top. Of, it's at the top of the charts on YouTube. It might even be number one, or was for a while. It's like album covers from the last sort of twenty, thirty years, all animated. So the guy on the Led Zeppelin cover actually catches fire and then throws <laughs> something at somebody else. It just sounds like a lot of work. Really you have to go and look at it. It is a lot of work, and it's absolutely. <laughs> Live 6 video features may inspire a bizarre new Ableton YouTube culture. Um, did anyone have a look at that? Because now, Ableton 6, if I'm right, you can import QuickTime movies and kind of cut them up. Is that right? Anybody know this 
for sure, John? Uh, not sure. Oh dear, that story's gone a bit wrong. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I know you can import video into it in the same way that you can with other sequences. Does anybody know what hyperprism is? Um, hyperprism? Wasn't that a... Um... It used to be a bundle of plugins, didn't it? Yeah. Well, they give away a free hyper engine, AV hyper engine, which you can import video clips into and edit and do all sorts of weird things. And it runs a whole load of their plugins, and they've got a whole... If you remember their sort of phasing and delay plugins with the blue window where you could move mm-hmm. the mouse around, they've got loads yep. of video editing stuff and video plugins that do all sorts of weird things and transitions and stuff. And it's on their website. It's completely and utterly free, so... It's well, called Hyper Engine AV. I mean, I should probably outline that live because Live Six now lets you bring in video and sync it to your audio, and I think it has limited sort of cut and paste capabilities. Um, there's this sort of strong feeling that people who are using live, uh, you you could actually record yourself while you're playing um, some music and then cut it up and put it together as part of the whole piece. And there's a guy called uh, Michael Forrest on YouTube who's done just that. It's quite an unusual piece of music, I would say. His, his vocal style is um, sort of falsetto and loose, I think would be um, would be fair to say. But it does it does kind of illustrate the point. And he's got uh, lots and lots of comments. I found this, uh, found this on Create Digital Music, and there's some great, great comments there. Um, and uh, it looks like he's been using the, the, the Live 6 video features. And um, maybe he'll start a trend. Perhaps you go and have a look and see if you can better it and, and let us know, and we can put that up on next week's show notes. Anybody who's listening he's, out there. <laughs> he's a very brave man to put this up, and he's got a lot of trumpets. I wonder if they're going to start to get into the point where people put this kind of thing up and get take advertising for people like M-Audio. So, like, I'm using my M-Audio keyboard in this. If I make it more prominent and show people what it is, will you, or, or whatever it may be, will you um, bung me some free gear? Shh, we don't want that. No? <laughs> no, we get that about 20 times a day. I'm playing what? a gig at the town hall, you know. It'll be good for you. Yeah, give me everything you've got, because it'll be great for you. I actually had one guy, I went to check one guy out, and uh, as I was walking in, a mate of mine was coming out of this venue, and he said, uh, believe me, you don't want to be associated with this guy at all. <laughs> well, it was great. It made me go in, actually. Oh, and how was it? <laughs> that was pretty appalling. <laughs> Ken Macbeth, he's back. He's got two new synths on the go. Can you believe it? I mean, after his amazing MX-5, which currently, if you're if you're into um, Muse, they've got one on stage. He, I saw a load of po- photos on his front page. There's, there's Muse with a, a blooming great big MX-5, which is kind of like a super 20, ARP 2600 kind of format. But it's all big jack plugs and big faders, and, and it's all big, 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 very sort of manly kind of synth, which is kind of in keeping with um, Ken's persona, I suppose. His new synth, he's got two on the go. He's making an MX th- M3X2. He's making 30 of those units at the moment. But um, I guess he was sort of maybe had a, a, a eureka moment and he decided he was going to make something called the X-Factor, which is uh, totally analog, three wide-ranging ans- an- uh, oscillators, uh, 10-turn pots for frequency control and blah, 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 blah. But it, it's sort of based on um, mini-moog type of... Um, Synthesis, I suppose. Oh. I know. I mean, I know. I know, Mark. You got. You want something new and, and innovative, but you have to check out some of his stuff because it's quite. He always. It, it's always a bit different, and it's definitely got a bit of a sound. I don't know. You're you're more synth aficionado, Dave. Have you had a chance to actually kind of have some quality time with any of his things? Uh, yeah, certainly the MX. I think I think everything that Ken does is uh, brilliant. 
I like the look of the X Factor as it is. Here, well, what, no case. Here, yeah, with, there's a picture of yeah, it on it his website. Really which is... This looks like it probably sounds very good, but I'm bored, 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 bored with Moog and anything that sounds like it. And, and you know, I want somebody to do something new. I mean, can't if he if he put a breadboard of circuit bending points where you could just plug things to other things and just make the whole thing freak out and do really interesting sort of unusual and totally random things i'd be more interested that's an interesting so like like a wrong so patch my, bay yeah there's my request a wrong patch bay a random but wrong would you have to build bay. in a lot of um kind of if you plug that in here it might break kind of protection or would it actually could you get away with it do you think well i don't know i've got away with it on all the casio things that i've circuit bent and i've got an alesis um a QSR rack thing, which I've circuit bent as well. I've just shorted out loads of things on the on on the main chips, and it makes some really really cool glitchy drum sounds and stuff. But that's digital, isn't it? I suppose the voltages flying around digital aren't likely to do as much damage as the voltages flying around analog. And so, what's this? What's the deal? Do, um, do you know what you're doing, Mark, or do you just kind of randomly attach leads to things and see what happens? Randomly attaching is definitely the best way of doing it i think if you know what you're doing you're you're just going to end up sounding the same as everyone else so i I mean i've got sk1s and sk5s and things they're quite good because you can put your own sound samples in and you poke about on the back with a with a multimeter and a couple of bits of wire and then you play the keyboard and short things out and see what happens and then if something interesting happens you put a switch across it oh i see (laughs) But can that be done in software? I mean, that's my question. Yeah, yeah? That could, it could be done. Um, slightly less random, though. You'd have to study and analyse the random nature of it and then uh, be able to model that. So it all becomes um, it would become more tedious, I it think. Would become, uh, I suppose if you did that, it, would become, uh, it wouldn't become random because someone would, it would be somebody's idea of random. Yes, exactly. It's all based on maths. You get those kind of chaos patch generators. The Camel Audio guys use that a lot, don't they? And uh, but apparently their stuff is quite good for that. But it's not. It's not in the in the in the area you're talking about. But yeah, you can you can, you, you can certainly do it in the early stages of uh, building a synth. But none of it's deliberate. <laughs> but what about stuff? What about in? I mean, because if you're you, you get the stuff that's component modelled, mm. presumably then the components are all there. So you could effectively have like little maybe random switching and, and rerouting stuff just it might make no noise but it might make something really weird i mean presumably that could happen uh, yeah but in a software developer's mind they're called bugs but i mean i have i've i've shorted a few things out in one of my sk1s and it's got the most unbelievable bass tone and and i know sort of some of what's going on it's dropping bits it's it's playing a brass tone but it's dropping bits it seems to have dropped a couple of octaves, and I've also got the actual audio output of the unit shorted back to somewhere on the motherboard. So if you turn the volume up, you get the effect of turning a resonance up on an analog seat, on an analog synthesizer. I mean, that's one of the best bass sounds I've got, and it's coming out of an SK-1. So if I can do that, surely somebody can... Maybe I should send you my SK-1, and you can mm. have a look and see what it's doing. Yeah, we'd be up for that. Well, there you go. Why aren't people who are hacking software just to get it to just to use it, not hacking it to make it weird? You know, it's like circuit bending soft synths. That would be a bit more yeah. of a challenge. You know, okay, you've hacked our copy protection. Why don't you try hacking, you know, the sound generator and see if you can make it do something weird? Mm. 
That's a good challenge as well, yeah. Yeah, something creative. Maybe Actually, that's maybe. quite funny. Mark Mark saying about that, the best bass sound. I've got a great um, anecdote from Wakeman years ago. Um, he took delivery of one of the first ever Prophet Fives, and he was living in, um, oh God, above Lake Geneva at the time, and uh, he was doing this, he was supposed to be doing this kind of jazz festival, and word had got around that he had this kind of, one of the very early prototype Prophet Fives. But he noticed that every day at six o'clock, um, it would screw up on him. So he rings up Dave Smith and his text there, and he's going, look, you know, I need to uh, sort this out. It's obviously all got to be ready for tomorrow. I think Chikaria and Obi Hancock want to lay their hands on it. And uh, Dave Smith says, uh, okay, so open it up, and uh, so tell your tech to, you know, the circuit board marked A, just take that out. And then you see the one marked B, and the tech takes it out, and Dave Smith says, whatever you do, don't take that out. And he ends up with the best bass sound ever, but he could never, ever recreate it again. So in the end, he did this jazz festival, quite what Wakeman was doing at a jazz festival, I don't know. But he did this, blagged his way through it by setting up his mini Moogs um, and pretending he was playing the Prophet polyphonic music. Well, and some knives. Well, that's, I, suppose that's, I suppose that's very early circuit bending, isn't it? Keith Emerson stabbing his, um, his organ, as it were. I've got a great Emerson story. You know, um, Chris, my business partner, was his tech for years. And uh, Keith said, uh, you know, Chris, he said, I'm not getting any younger these days. He said, uh, you know, I have to throw the organ around on stage. You wouldn't sort of make it a bit easier for me. So Chris goes down the supermarket, nicks a shopping trolley, puts the wheels of the shopping trolley on the bottom of the Hammond, forgets to tell Keith about it. So Keith starts to throw it across stage and it goes straight out into the audience. Oh, my Lord. (laughs) (laughs) And that made a good noise. So, there we go. Maybe what you should do is um, issue a challenge, Dave. We need more of that. Okay, let's have some more. Somebody out there, do some circuit bending on a soft synth and let's uh, let's see what sort of noise it can make. We could do a couple of quickies, or we could actually go to the fact that my new um, MacBook Pro, which I had bought, ooh, what, what, four weeks ago, is now being superseded by something 50% more powerful and with FireEye 800. Um, they announced it yesterday. I mean, great news for people who are about to buy MacBooks, like um, one of the other people who uh, work for Sonic is just about to buy a MacBook, and it's going to be more pokey than mine. But um, you get a gig of RAM on the base model, FireWire 800, which is what we really need. So you get a lot more Mac for your money, basically. And um, cheers. Yeah, I feel the same way, actually. We've got a philosophy here that as soon as something new comes out, then you can't actually use the previous version. So I'm stuck with uh, about three video cameras that I can't use anymore. Um, my, uh, my digital SLR, just been superseded, can't use that anymore. And now my MacBook Pro. The Core 2 Duo is supposed to be, um, we talked about it a few weeks ago, it's a, it's a better chip, it's more efficient, and the, so it uses a lot less energy. So the, the, reportedly the battery life is supposed to be up to about five, five and a half hours, which would be pretty impressive. Wow. Imagine yeah, that. That's very impressive. Good news for everybody who hasn't bought a MacBook Pro yet, and bad news for some for people who've just bought one, like me. Um, so Altiverb is up to um, a, a ripe old age of what's the what's it currently at? I've lost my notes now. Fantastic. Um, five point four point eight. Five point five point four point eight for Windows and on OS X. Has anybody had any experience with uh, with Altiverb? I mean, from what I've seen of it, it's it's pretty great. I've used it a couple of times. But what I find it, what I found interesting when I started looking into the site is the number of things that they've actually done impulse responses for, and it's just some crazy things they've done. This. You can get a whole package of European cars, the insides of European cars. Yep. 
yeah, what what they sound like from sort of VW Beetle through to I don't know Ford car or whatever. Well, they've the guy sampled the sound of the inside of the car, and they've sampled it, like, there's a whole lot of trains as well. I think a lot of it's down to being used for post production, where they're you know in film and voiceover, where they want to get the space of an exact you know the exact right car, the sound of the car, the sound of the right the right sound of the back of the van or whatever. But they also do some pretty amazing yeah. spaces. Do they do samples of of kind of vintage? Um, Reverb units and old digital stuff, they must do. Yeah, I think they do, yeah. If you've ever seen any post-production stuff or anybody making the soundtracks for movies, that's quite unbelievable. Um, I went into a place in Universal Studios and they were running something like 190 tracks of Pro Tools and they had different Pro Tools stations all around uh, the room of different guys that were designing different elements of the sound for this movie. And they had what looked like about three SSL G-series desks kind of bolted together in the middle of the room. This desk just went on forever and ever and ever and ever. And they are very precise about all of that stuff, aren't they? And, yes, it has to be right. Logic Audio also has a convolution reverb built into it, which I think is quite good and seems to work quite well. Yeah, it's good. It's, I got, mean, a massive, it's got a massive library as well, that's the other thing. It has, and they're, but they're not, they're not adding to it. I don't, I don't know, is there a way of adding, adding to that library yourself? Yeah, you can use, uh, you can use uh, WAV samples as convolutions, as impulse responses. So I guess that you would go and make uh, a convolution response in the same way that you would in any other reverb. In other words, you can use ones from other reverbs. Really? So, uh, yeah. Is that just you drop them in the folder, or do you have to have some utility or other? Uh, I think there's, there's a section that says synthesize, and a section that says uh, res- impulse or response or something. You click on that, and it pulls up the dialog box to open a file, and you go and find your file. So oh, you, can, you can load any sound into it as an impulse response, and it will put the it will put the sound. Uh, the parameters of the sound that you've loaded into it onto the other sound. So say you have a drum loop and you yeah. have someone talking, you could load talking the person talking into the convolution reverb as the impulse response and then process drums with it and then dr- the drums come out sounding like they're talking. It's very interesting to play with. Wow, I never knew that. That's a, that's a top tip. Here's another yeah. Here's another thing. I want somebody to build a convolution synthesizer. Can someone make one of those, please? Okay, I'll get right on it. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, I heard your keyboard going. Was that what you were doing? Uh, <laughs> no, I'm still stuck on universal binary. But I have an imposter that makes a noise, so I'm happy. You you have an imposter that makes a noise under universal binary. Yeah, it's only VST at the minute. But that's great news. Uh, yeah, so we're we're getting there. I think that's the last one. What everything else is already making a noise in a universal binary. Yeah, Mini Monster and Oddity is already there. Ah, and what, are you announcing oh. those at some point? No, well, there's a couple of bugs in uh, Mini Monster and Oddity automation, touch automation, and Logic's pain in the ass. On that note, I think we should probably just do the wrap up, and uh, I will say thank you very much, Dave Spears, for joining us. Thank you, and John Musgrave. Still here. Thank you very much. Thank you. And uh, Mark Tinley too. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. Um, remember, you can contact us. Don't be shy now using the Skype handle Sonic Talk. 
Um, we'd love to hear from you. Anything you've got to say on the subjects that we cover or perhaps the subjects we don't cover, um, just use our Skype handle, Sonic Talk, or if you want to use the phone, our number in the US is 312-376-8089. And if you're dialing internationally, just put 001 in front of that. So 001-312-376-8089. Alternatively, just send us an email on sonictalk at sonicstate.com. We'd love to hear from you. Sonic. Statesman. Let's go.